Tonight we're looking at uh, self-control. You can't have success without self-control. It's impossible. You cannot have success apart from self-control. I'll read the sheets are passed out, and then I'll read you Psalm 25 and verse 28. <clears throat> By the way, we've got lots of verses to look up tonight. You'll need to write some of these verses in to, to, to remind you about them and, keep, and, and help them uh, with them. But <clears throat> we see around us in our modern age, we see so many people that fail in life. They're talented, they're gifted, they have everything going for them, and they fail because they haven't uh, got self-control. I mean, I suppose the saddest story, I was with the Houston uh, a couple of years ago, uh, ago um, dying because of a drug overdose, and then just recently her daughter as well. That's, that's heartbreaking. What you got? Gifted, talented people, but they can't control themselves. You know, and you can go through it in sports, you can go through it in music, you, can, you get these people who are, who are so very, very gifted, and yet, because they can't control themselves, they destroy their lives. Let me make a statement for you. Uh, left unchecked, the desires of your flesh will ruin your life. Absolutely, categorically, always true. Left unchecked, the desires of your flesh will ruin your life. You see, the problem for us is we have desires, but the desires are not something that's kind of stationary. You know what I mean? That, you know, you have these desires and they, that, that's it. You don't desire anything else. You have these desires and, and, and that's... What happens is your desires have a life all of their own. Feed them and they grow. Let, let them have their way and what's going to happen is they're going to overtake you in your life. And that's what we see in people's lives. We see people letting their desires overcome them. And <clears throat> it's tragic People forget about the consequences. You know, they, 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 they have to have what they have to have. And because they have to have it, they destroy themselves. All right? <clears throat> Psalm 25, verse 28. He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. Let's pray. Father, would you bless us tonight? Lord, we look to you, blessed spirit, as the one who interprets and applies the word in our lives. Lord, would you help us tonight? Would you do uh, that work in Jesus' name? Amen. All right, now, in ancient times, a city had walls. Right? We could go down to the liberties now, and we would find the ancient walls of Dublin, or at least a part of them. Now, the reason a city had walls is because inside the city walls, there was law and order of a sort. Outside the city walls, typically, there was no law and order. Anything went... Uh, you had bandits, you had all kinds of things going on outside that. But inside the city walls, there was order, structure. You could uh, live your life, you could carry out your business, you could do things. That's why people were drawn to the cities, and the cities grew. Uh, yeah. Okay, Proverbs verse 25, chapter 25, verse 28, right? <clears throat> Okay, um, so you had to have walls around the city. Now, if you had a city without walls, it was kind of an non-entity almost. What's the point of having a city if you haven't got walls? Because you have the people all living there and they're sitting ducks, they're targets for anything that's going on uh, in the area. So it was, it was of no value to have a city with no, no walls. So if the city walls were broken down, uh, it was chaos, it was disaster. When Nehemiah went back to, uh, to Jerusalem, that was a disaster he faced. The walls were broken down. 
You know, it was in a bad way. And, and he was heartbroken over it and went back to rebuild the walls. But the walls are important. So now, here's the, here's the comparison the Bible gives you. The Bible says that you and I, if we don't have control over our spirit, are like a city whose walls are broken down. How, do, how does that work? How do you, how, what does that make you, what, what, what picture does that give you of your life? What does it mean to control your spirit, first of all? How do you control your spirit? Now, we're not talking about Holy Spirit here. No, we're talking about you, you, you and your spirit, controlling your spirit. Right? Do you ever have a desire that just wouldn't quit? Did you ever have a desire that just wouldn't quit? It just goes on and on and on. And <clears throat> you've got to be able to control that. Or you're like the city that is broken without walls and broken down. Now, <clears throat> What would it be in what would a life look like if the walls if, if if the walls were broken down and the the person wasn't under control? What would it look like? Pardon? A wreck. Isn't that universally true? That for everybody in this room, if you can't control your desires, your life's a wreck. And now, now the the thing is, sometimes the wreckage is manifest very quickly, and sometimes it's not manifest so quickly. But the thing is, if we don't control our desires, we are going to be that city whose walls are broken down. Our lives are going to be a wreck. We're going to be in trouble if we don't come to the place where we've actually get that under control. First Corinthians nine verse twenty seven. Now let me give you verses to read, and. Um, <clears throat> I think we started at the back of this side, right? Aiden, we'll start with you, right? Can you read for us 1 Corinthians 9, verse 27? Vincent, would you get Philippians 3, 21? Farina, would you read Romans 7, 24? And then who's next? Leighton, you're good. Genesis 4, verse 7. All right, so Aiden, 1 Corinthians 9, 27. Okay, this is the Apostle Paul writing, right? So he said, he disciplines his body and he brings it into subjection lest when he has preached to others, he himself... Is a castaway. He's of no value. Now, this is the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul is saying is, I need to keep my body under control. I work at it. I keep my body under control because if I don't, sin will take over and I'll end up being disqualified. Now, that's a stern warning and it's kind of, you, know, you look at the Apostle Paul and you think, good night, this is St. Paul we're talking about. Did he really have to worry about these things? Yeah, he did. And if he didn't, he was going to become a castaway. As high up as he was, he would become a castaway if he didn't keep himself under control. Okay, Philippians 3.21. Vincent? Okay, so what is it called? A vile body. That's not very nice, is it? I mean, <clears throat> you mean to say that we have vile bodies? That doesn't go very well with your self-esteem crowd, does it? 
the fact that we have vile bodies. Now, what's he talking about? He's not talking about our physical bodies there. What's he talking about our vile bodies? When he talks about our vile bodies. Well, it's more than our thoughts. It's, it's the sin nature within us. Right? It's there. It's, it's there. And now, when he calls it vile, that's a, bit, that's a bit overkill, isn't it? Or is it true? Is it actually true? They're vile bodies. So that what you've got to do is, Paul, like Paul says, you've got to keep it under control. Okay. Um, <clears throat> Verena, Romans 7.24. Okay, the body of death. Now, how does that hit you? Your body, this body of death. Now, by the way, is he dead? When he's writing this. No, you can't write when you're dead, okay? Okay, just, just, to, just to help you there on a Wednesday night, you can't write when you're dead. Right? He's not dead. Uh, he, he's very much alive, but he's calling it this body of death. Right? Now, so he's not speaking well about it. When we talk about our flesh, when we talk about uh, our, our, our bodies, when we talk about our sin nature, we're talking about something that is vile. That's a body of death. Now, everybody look. Leighton's going to read the next one first. I want you all to look, though, at uh, Genesis chapter 4. Four verse 7. Now, let, let, let me just clear you in here. What we're talking about here is we're talking about Ain, Cain and Abel. And um, <clears throat> Cain brought the fruit of the ground. God didn't accept it. Abel uh, brought one of his flock. God accepted it. And Cain was upset. He was not happy. Now, let me read it for us there. Okay, now... <clears throat> What's he talking about there when he personifies sin? Sin lieth at the door, right? <clears throat> and what does it say about sin? Uh, and unto thee shall be his desire. What, 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 what sin's desire if we personify sin? What sin's desire in your life? What does sin want to do? What's your sin nature want to do? Okay. Destroy us. Overcome us. Now, you really have to face up to this. Do you have a sin nature that wants to overcome you? Could it overcome you? Could it take you down? You say, well, I'm a Christian. Couldn't, could it overtake you? It's there. Remember, when you got saved, your sin nature did not get saved. And God left it with you. Now, you and I might say, you know what, that wasn't a very good idea, God. I mean, you should have taken it away, but that's not what he did. He left it with us. And our sin nature is with us. So here's the problem. There's a battle going on, and it's trying to overcome us. We didn't read all of it, but in, in, in Romans chapter 7, <clears throat> Verena read from us there, uh, for us from it there. What Paul is talking about, he's talking about this battle. In my flesh, in my flesh dwelleth no good thing uh, to do good, uh, I desire, but... Evil is present with me, and I can't. I don't do good. 
So we have to understand that, you know, it's not like, you know, well, I'm a Christian now, I'm nice and cleaned up, and I'm looking good, and I feel good, and, you know, I love God, and I'm reading the Bible, and so on. That couldn't happen to me. Yes, it could. There's a battle going on here, right? Now, so what it's saying there is, uh, what God was telling Cain was, that unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. What What was Cain supposed to do? He was supposed to overcome sin. Sin is the problem, Cain. Overcome sin. What did Cain do? Pardon? Yeah, he overcame his brother. And killed him. Right? So he didn't overcome sin. Sin overcame him. Now you see, what we look at in the lives of so many people, saved and unsaved, is what we see is we see sin overcoming them, sin destroying them. There's a principle at work in us that wants to destroy us. You know, and we say, well, it's the enemy. Well, yeah, the enemy's definitely involved in it, but the enemy is the catalyst that prods your sin nature and helps you along with it. But it's your sin nature. It's you. The problem is, it's you. It's me. We're the problem. It's not what other people do, and it's not what the enemy does. It's us. We're the problem. Now, it's it's essential to us that we catch what the problem is, because if we don't catch what the problem is, we're going to fight the wrong battle. Satan made me do it. Satan can't make you do anything. What happens is it's your nature. And what needs to be subdued, either you're going to overcome sin or sin is going to overcome you. Okay, that's a good question. Okay, well, here's the deal. Here's the di- There's three tenses when we deal with sin and sanctification, right? Um, first of all, um, when Jesus died, we had a sin problem that would have sent us straight to hell. When we got saved, that was taken away. Our punishment was taken away. He bore our punishment, right? Okay? The second thing is that if you were to die right now and stand before God, God would look on you and see Rory cloaked in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Right? And he would accept you on that basis. So you, you, you have a righteousness that's, that's real right now. The third thing is, though, that that what's happening in your life now is you're growing into that. Okay? What what God wants for us is he wants us to grow into the righteousness that he's given us. It's the process of sanctification in our lives. It's what's happening as as we live. We're facing up to sin and we're dealing with sin and we're overcoming. Now, although we have a sin nature, he has stacked the deck in our favor. Okay? Because we have the Holy Spirit. It's not an even fight anymore. We have the Holy Spirit. If we'll yield to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit gives us power to overcome sin. So it's not like, you know, we're duking it out uh, and it's, it's an even battle. No. The, the, the reality, yes, we have a sin nature and but the Holy Spirit is there and he's helping us, enabling us and we can live. And that's the process of sanctification. That's the process, process of God freeing us. Uh, from sin, and helping us overcome sin, right? Now, what what you're looking for, Rory, is you're looking for you get saved and you're in heaven. (laughs) That's not the way it works. You get saved, 
your sin, the, 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 the penalty for your sin is dealt with instantly. Um, you, if you were to stand before God in that moment, you're sanctified, you're, you're cleansed in the, in, in the blood of Jesus Christ. But in the meantime, what you're doing is you're growing, you're being sanctified, you're growing into that sanctification. Right? Leighton? Yeah. They hear somebody coursing and they're horrified, you know. The stuff they would normally do, now they're feeling bad when they do it. And that shows, that's evidence of sanctification. You are actually, yeah. you know, you are becoming more holy in the sense. The stuff that you used to be able to do is becoming Yeah. You can still choose to do it, but it is definitely an issue. Yeah. It's, there's a process. By the way, how many of you can look back and you can say, I got saved, and something that used to be a problem for me sin wise? It's gone. Isn't that amazing now? Look around the room, guys. Lots of people can say that, right? Now, and I, and I think for most of us, that's reality. That when we get saved, you know, at some level, we find a new power to deal with sin. And that's the sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit to enable you not to sin. And doesn't it feel good when you're free of something like that? You know, before you were saved, you may have felt bad about it. But after you're saved, you're free of it. And you think, hey, way to go. That's what God is doing in our lives. But there is a battle going on, right? And either you're going to overcome sin, and sin is going to overcome you. Now, it's tragedy if you as a believer let sin overcome you. The tragedy. And here's the reason. Because the Spirit of God is in you to enable you. You have dynamite power inside of you to enable you to overcome sin. And when you let sin overcome you, what happens is... Just a tragedy. Right? <clears throat> okay. Um, so, point number one here, right? We need to understand the risks associated with the desires of your flesh. The risks associated with the desires of your flesh. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12. Who is next? Uh, Claire, you're next. Sorry. We'll, we'll get, <laughs> don't worry, we'll get Simon to do it. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12. When you're ready, Simon, read it first there, read. 10, 10 verse 12, yeah. Okay, let him that standeth take heed lest he fall. What does that mean to you? Hopefully you're doing well tonight, right? It's Wednesday night church, and hopefully you've had a good week, and you, you, things are going well for you, and you're walking with the Lord, and you're feeling like, you know what? Uh, things are going well, things are good, and um, praise the Lord for that, you're in the right place. Well, let him that standeth take heed lest he fall. See, if we forget the fact that we have a sin nature, and forget the fact that we have something drawing us into sin all the time, it's very easy for us to get proud. And we begin to think we're doing okay, and then we can fall. And it can happen to any of us. You know, in your own strength, you can do nothing. So you've got to understand that. Uh, somebody said to Billy Graham, <clears throat> he said, you have faithfully ministered for half a century. How do you do it? And Billy Graham replied, I walk scared, young man. I walk scared. 
Now, what was he scared of? He had a sin nature and he knew it and he was scared that it would take over. That's kind of a healthy fear. That is a healthy fear for us to have. You know, I don't, I, I don't want to give in to the flesh and let the flesh dominate and let the flesh overcome me. I don't want to do that. That's a good fear for us to have, right? Okay, secondly, see your sin as it really is in the light of biblical truth. Now, we have a real problem here, right? We have a real problem here. The idea of seeing our sin as it really is, our sin is kind of like a pet in our lives. Now, you don't understand, but, you know, it's, it's kind of, I need to do it because it's just me, you know? And, I mean, God understands, right? And we got, we got it all worked out when we make sin. If I, we're never going to have victory over sin if we treat it like that. If we make our sin acceptable... We're never going to have victory over it. And remember, if you don't have victory over sin, what's going to happen is you're not going to be successful in life because that's what we're looking at here. You can't have success in life and be overcome by sin. Even an unbeliever can't. You certainly, as a child of God, can't. You have to have victory over sin. You can't allow it to, to, uh, <clears throat> to run your life, right? <clears throat> Okay, I'm going to throw out some verses. Who, who, who's next? Um, Jason. Proverbs 14, verse 8. Psalm, I'll, I'll just give them out. You guys grab them. If you, don't want to, if you don't want to take it, pass it on to the guy next to you, right? Uh, just some, somebody be ready to read it, okay? Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. Psalm 19, verse 14. All right. <clears throat> So, Jason, when you're ready, Proverbs 14 and verse 8. Okay. The wisdom of the prudent is to understand his way. What did you really know yourself tonight? Or have you developed a deception that makes you look good in your own eyes and in other people's eyes? And because you've got this deception going on, you can't see who you are. It's possible to do. It's, it's, it's very common for believers to I don't face myself. I don't face the fact that, uh, uh, of my sin, and, I, and I'm okay, and I'm nice. And um, <clears throat> what happens is we're not facing ourselves. Now, you cannot deal with sin if you don't face it as sin. That's a big problem for us. If you don't face it as, face it as sin, you can't deal with it. Okay, Psalm 139, 23 and 24. Okay, and that's a great prayer for you to pray. Lord, search me. Uh, <clears throat> Lord, look after me. Uh, look to me. Lord, sort out. Show me what's wrong inside me. Show me what's wrong before you. You know, cry out to the Lord and have the Lord do it because we need Him constantly turning up the muck so that we can actually see what's going on. Remember, what does the Bible say about your heart? Pardon? It's a deceitful. It's a liar. Right? It's a liar. Which means you can tell yourself nice little lies in your head all the time. If you listen to your heart, I mean, isn't it amazing? You, you, you look at the list of songs in the house. How many songs talk, tell you to, to listen to your heart? 
And the Bible says exactly the opposite. It says, don't listen to it. It's a liar. It will always lead you astray. It will always take you down the wrong path. Right? Um, but, but we are prone to, to going with our hearts. Now, we're not supposed to go with our hearts. We need the Spirit of God to open us up to reveal what's going on inside there. Now, let me counsel you here, because <coughs> always when you're dealing with something like this, you're dealing with two different kinds of people, right? You're dealing with people who are sensitive, uh, and you're dealing with people who are, would um, <coughs> be kind, we'll say, insensitive spiritually, right? So the insensitive person is kind of there with the barriers up and nothing touches them, right? And the sensitive person, every, every, every little shard of an arrow is kind of catching them and nailing them to the floor, right? Now, when it comes to you asking the Lord to search you, let him do the searching. Don't go navel-gazing. Don't go trying to sort out what's in your heart yourself because your heart is a liar. It'll put you wrong both sides of it. It'll tell you you're okay when you're not and it'll tell you you're in sin. Uh, when you're not. Your heart is a liar. You need God to do it. You need the Spirit of God to go through you and to actually sort out uh, what's going on inside you. All right, Psalm 19, verse 14. Who's next? Who's got that? Okay, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in this. What's he saying there? What's he asking God to do there? He's asking God to, to look at his words and to look at his thinking and, Lord, that they would be acceptable in your eyes. That's really important, that your words and your thinking... Now, by the way, he's just facing the reality that God's looking at them anyway. God's looking at our thinking. God's looking at, at, at our thoughts. God's looking at what we're saying. And he's saying, Lord, that they would be acceptable in your eyes. Lord, that you would be pleased with them. Will that be great if you start the day and say, now, Lord, don't let me think a thought today that you're not pleased with. Don't let me dwell on anything that you're not happy with. Don't me, let me say anything that you're not happy with today, Lord. Lord, let my heart be open to you, Lord. That's recognizing reality, because it is. He sees it all. But if you were to live in that light, that would be such a help, and uh, accepting where you are. But the problem for us is that we gloss over sin in our own lives. One of the classic examples is Aaron in the, um, <clears throat> with the golden calf. Remember the golden calf? Moses comes down off the mountain with the Ten Commandments, and, and he broke all Ten Commandments at once. And he smashed them. Uh, and he comes down, and he finds Aaron, uh, and... Um, Aaron says this. Aaron says, well, <clears throat> look, you, you, the people are rebellious. And they, they, you know, they, they, they wanted me to make them a god, so I just threw all the gold in the fire. Look, that's what came out. Isn't that amazing? It's a calf. Right? Now, that's not what happened at all. To make it into a calf took some fashioning on Aaron's part. The Bible says that, that he fashioned it uh, into a calf. But what was he doing? It's not my fault. I didn't do it. It's not my responsibility. I mean, it just happened. It came out of the fire. I mean, most you can't blame me on it. They're rebellious. They wanted it. I threw it in the fire, and, and that happened. Now, instead of Aaron saying, yeah, I was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. 
And Moses is very harsh on him. He says, what did this, this people unto thee that thou <clears throat> uh, allowed such judgment to come on them? I'm looking at the right words there, right? But that God dealt with them so harshly because of what Aaron did. But Aaron didn't take responsibility for it. Now, that's kind of a classic example. I mean, how can you not take responsibility for that? Now, understand this, that our sin nature does not want to face itself and does not want to take responsibility for sin. And if you don't call sin, sin, there's no victory over it. Why, do, why would you want victory over something that's not a problem? You know, <clears throat> you know nobody goes into the men's home because they're addicted to drinking water. Right? You know, it's not a problem. Drinking water's not a problem. I mean, I suppose you could drink so much water to be a problem. You could do anything, anything to a problem. But yeah, that's not a problem. Right? You know, we need to say, hang on, what I'm doing is wrong. It is a problem. I need help with it. That's the way it is with sin. Um, <clears throat> Okay. Well, <clears throat> the Bible says this, there's not a just man upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not. Right, so there's nobody good, first off, right? There's nobody good, they, they all do wrong. But the Bible says that all of sin have come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire, right? Okay, so everybody out there, whether they appear good to you and I or not, is not the issue. We've all earned a place in hell. Okay? Now, <clears throat> When it comes to living their lives, you've got people that live well out there. And in the areas of their lives that they live well, it works. But the problem is they still have a sin problem. And we get terribly duped by the look of things. I mean, Facebook is a terrible liar. It's a terrible liar. You know... <clears throat> You know, nobody, nobody puts up photographs of themselves the morning after when they're dying. You know, nobody puts, puts up photographs when they're in floods of tears because their life's falling apart. They don't put up those photographs. What they want you to see is they want you to see all the nice things in their life. So they paint all these nice pictures for themselves and for you and for everybody else. And people do that to us. And we don't see. Listen, the, the hardest thing in the world is to be apart from God. Because we were made for him. And they, everybody out there needs God. Now you say, but they're getting along just fine. Yeah. As far as they're concerned, they are. But they're not really. They're not doing what they were made to do. They were made to relate to God. Everybody right across the planet needs that. Now, do people get along fine and well uh, without God? As far as the world is concerned, yes. But not really. But you and I are not going to see it. And they're not going to put it up on Facebook. You know, nobody puts up on the face, Facebook, I was awake at 3 o'clock this morning, and I was wondering where I'm going to spend eternity. I don't know whether I'm going to go to heaven or go to hell. I don't even know if there is a heaven or a hell. They don't put, most people don't put that kind of stuff up there. And yet, at some point, most people have those thoughts. Because we're made. We're made uh, by God. We're eternal beings. So, you know, that matters to us. We think about those things, right? So... <clears throat> The, the, what I'm saying to you is, it doesn't matter how good it looks, and they get along and they do fine and so on. No, no, no. There's big lacks in the situation. 
That's not to say they're not doing okay and they're not happy enough in themselves, but there's big lacks in the situation because we were made for God. That's what we were made for. You know, if you get to do the job, physical job in, in this life that you were made for, it's a good feeling, isn't it? This is what I was made for. This is what I, that's a good feeling. Spiritually, eternally, you were made for God. And when you get in line with that, life just works. Right? <clears throat> good question though, Rory. Obviously you're thinking at the moment, yeah? Thinking things through at the moment, right? Um, <clears throat> you have to be willing to acknowledge your sin. You have to be willing to acknowledge it. You can't let sin uh, <clears throat> be something that's, that, that's not really a, a problem. You've got to be willing to acknowledge it and to come down on God's side of it, which means, God, I was wrong. You are right and you always are, and I was wrong. We, we can't have this middle ground that we come to, well, I really haven't made my mind up on that one. Not sure if it's right or it's wrong. I'm going to continue, I'm going to continue on to it. By the way, people say this, until the Holy Spirit convicts me. The Word of God says it's wrong and they're going to continue on doing it until the Holy Spirit convicts them. The Holy Spirit just did convict you, but what you did was you, you shirked it off. Right? The Word of God is clear. And we've got to be willing to accept. If we're going to battle sin and win, we've got to accept it as being sin. Basic. You've got to face up to yourself. Ask the Lord to examine you and face up to yourself. Now, number three. Remember that sin was conquered in the death of Jesus Christ. Now, not his sin. He had no sin. Your sin was conquered. Right? Your sin was conquered by Jesus Christ. We don't have time to go through Romans chapter 6 tonight. But Romans 6 deals with the fact that we, are, we were uh, buried with him, that we were crucified with him, that we were buried with him, and that we rose with him. And that because it's, we, we were in him at that point, and he is our victory. That we have victory over sin. You say, well, that doesn't really wash for me. Uh, look, Romans 6 is the answer. The answer is, I don't have to battle this alone. I, was, I, I died with him, sin was defeated with him, and I rose. Now, so now, sin no longer has dominion over me, for I'm not under the law, I'm under grace. So sin has, doesn't have power. And you've you got to bite the bullet on that one too. That sin does not have power, which, which is kind of, it's an interesting one, right? Because it has a double, it's a double-edged sword. The first side of it is, hey, I don't have to sin anymore. I've got victory over sin. But the other edge of the sword is, when I do, it's all my fault. I didn't have to do it. And I did. You know, so, so we've got to bite the bullet on Romans chapter 6, right? <clears throat> okay, then you've got to crush the flesh with truth from the Word of God. You've got to crush the flesh with truth from the Word of God. You know, the pain for people is a very real thing. They have all kinds of interesting ways of dealing with pain. But one of the ways they deal with pain is they can identify the nerves that carry the pain signals to the brain and they can send uh, electronically block it there. You know, like, like, the, like the net stuff that, was, that we were using for the men with, <clears throat> when they were detoxing. But they actually get in there and they block it. Right? Now here's what the, word, what, what the truth of the Word of God will do. It will come between you and sin. If you will actually face the reality from the Word of God about your sin, you won't do it. Right? Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. What's death? Death is separation. 
Is there always a price tag on sin? Yeah, Jesus paid the price for our sin. For you as a child of God, is there always a cost involved in sin? Always. You never get away with it. There's always a cost involved in sin. And you see, what we're inclined to do is, we're inclined to, because, because we don't get nailed with a lightning bolt the moment we sin, we're inclined to think, hey, I got away with it. It's okay. I can do this. But there's always a price tag involved in sin. There's always that issue between you and God. Now look, you can have, confess, confess it, you can deal with it, you can get it right and sort it out. But there's always a price tag involved in it. We need to understand that, that there's always that cost involved uh, in sin. <clears throat> here's, what, here's what we do. Here's what the enemy likes to do and our flesh likes to do. Don't look behind the curtain. Just look at the fun sin is going to be. The pleasure of sin for a season. And sin, when it's finished, bringeth forth death. Now, here's the problem for us. Your flesh in its own strength, is addicted to sin. It'll swap sins, it'll change sins, but it's addicted to sin. That's your flesh. I, that's the way it is. That's the way, that never changes. My flesh will always be addicted unto sin. When I die and go to glory, I will leave my flesh behind. Blessed riddance. Right? <clears throat> that, will, that, that will be good to leave that part. But until then, it's always going to be addicted to sin. Now, the other principle working in me is that I've got the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. I've got the power of the Holy Spirit. He's not addicted to sin. I've got a new spirit connected with God, so <clears throat> that's not addicted to sin. So, so, so I can win in this thing. Right? <clears throat> but my flesh will always be addicted to sin. Now here's what I've got to do. I've got to look behind the curtain and see what's behind the curtain. I got to look behind the curtain and see the reality of what's behind the curtain so that I don't get caught up with this idea of thinking sin's going to be okay, it's going to be fun, it's going to be easy. Right, look with me at Proverbs chapter 5. Proverbs chapter 5. This is just a glaring one, <clears throat> dealing with lust, right? Proverbs 5, verse 3. He's telling him to regard wisdom. And in verse 3 he says, For the lips of a strange woman drop as a honeycomb, and her mouth is smoother than oil. Right? Now, when somebody's being drawn into immorality, are they going in and saying, Oh, I have to do this thing? No, they're not. It's all enticing, it's all exciting, it's all fun, it's all wonderful. Yeah? That's the way it is. It's all wonderful. Now, do we know there's another side to it? What do we do with the other side of it when we're getting drawn into it? We block it out, don't we? Just block out, saying, ah, listen, you know what, um, let's not worry about that. And... We, we refuse to look at it, right? But here's what you need to do. 
Here, and you need, to, you need to learn the discipline of doing this in your mind. When your mind gets caught, and it, it applies here, very graphic uh, in the way it applies here, but you need to do it in any area of sin in your mind. What's the cost in this going to be? So if I steal that fiver, what's the cost going to be? Well, I could get caught and I'll lose my reputation. Or um, I might get away with it, which would be worse because I'll probably steal more then. But there's a cost involved in it. right? And you look beyond the pleasure to the cost. Discipline yourself to look beyond. Discipline yourself to pull back the curtain. The enemy doesn't want you looking behind the curtain. Just do it. Don't, don't, don't look. Don't, don't think about it. Just do it. Whenever you're being pressured and pushed into something like that, it's the enemy. He's pushing you and he wants you to do something wrong and your flesh is going with him. But see what happens here, right? Um, <clears throat> For the lips of a strange woman's drop as a honeycomb and her mouth is smoother than oil. But her end is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps take hold on hell. Lest thou should ponder the path of life, her ways are movable that thou canst not know them. Right, so what's he saying there? He's saying, yeah, it all looks good up front, but you know what? The reality is you're stepping down into death. Now, if we learn to do that with all sin in our lives, we pull the curtain back and look at where it's really going and say, yeah, that's where you want me to go. You know, then we're helped. But learn to look behind it. You know, um, <clears throat> when we sin, we don't want to think about the consequences. But there are always consequences. Look at the consequences. By the way, if you're, if you're training up children, listen, force them to look at the consequences. Force them to look at what this is going to cost if they do this. Don't just get annoyed with them because they did something wrong and sinned. Force them to see, now here's what's going to happen, right? You know, by the way, God builds this in. That's why spanking was in, <coughs> uh, is important for your child, right? Because your child does something wrong and there's a consequence. So your child thinks about doing something wrong the next time and he thinks, but that hurt the last time. And he doesn't want to do that. Now, it won't stop him doing stuff. He's still going to do something. He's going to get more spanked. But he's going to learn the principle of life is... Doing wrong always costs you. Now, if we don't learn that early in life, what happens is we have to learn it later in life. And it gets, it gets much harder. The older you get, the harder it gets to learn things, right? Anthony? How do you mean? No, it is the right reason. Because what you've got is you've got a little child that doesn't understand much of anything and you're communicating to them that it's wrong but they don't care about the fact that it's wrong they're maybe not even saved what they're learning is there's a consequence to me doing wrong now at some stage they tie it all together and the consequence uh, relates to God but at first they're not going to understand the parents talk to them about it and tell them about it but, but you know you know what when they're little they don't understand much of anything right? but they do get to understand that it's wrong and it costs me. And that's the principle you're communicating to the child. It's wrong and it costs me. You see, don't, don't, don't let your, your kids go all spiritual on you. We, have, we had one very spiritual child. Whenever they were in trouble, all of a sudden they got very spiritual. 
Right, they got they got enormously so I won't say who it was, right? Uh, they got enormously spiritual, and they were they were they were reading their Bible while they were waiting to be spanked. They were fixing up the room. They were uh, they turned over a whole new leaf in those few moments. Now, what was happening for them was the consequences was coming close, and they didn't want that. Right? And so don't let your kids go spiritual on you and say, well, they've made it right with God and they don't need... No, they need to understand the consequences. Shouldn't be all day, every day, but there are, ought to be times when you step into your child's life and um, they know God's got their number <clears throat> and they learn what's going to happen is I'm going to get caught. I'm going to... And for us, we need to deal with that in ourselves. That we open the curtain and look behind the curtain. Sin has consequences. Always. 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 Right? I mean, King David. Right? King David looked out the window, looked down, uh, saw Bathsheba, took Bathsheba. Were there consequences? He lived with them for the rest of his life. Now, by the way, David lived with the consequences for the rest of his life, even though he got it right. Hmm. Do you know you can get things right with God and sometimes the consequences don't go away? That's just reality. Sometimes the consequences don't go away. You know, so, so understand that when we say, well, my sin is paid for by Jesus Christ, that's true. And if I were to stand before Jesus Christ today, my sin uh, is paid for, it's clean, clear, and I'm, <clears throat> and I'm set there. But the reality is, the things I do wrong now have an impact on my life, a negative impact on my life. Now, I don't have to live with that, you know, okay, I can't live because, you know, I've done so many wrong things that, you know, God's, <clears throat> God's dealing with me all the time. I don't have to live like that, but I have to understand before I sin that there's a cost involved in sinning, right? And that the cost is always high. By the way, <clears throat> think about it. <clears throat> When you sin once, isn't the next sin easier? You dull your conscience and it's easier for the next one, isn't it? And then the next one's easier. And you can make the choice to start, but sometimes you're not able to make the choice to stop again. You start doing it and it just snowballs on you. And you see, you're feeding a fire. You're feeding a fire. We had a load of um, oh, branches and so on. We burned them the other day uh, up at my house. And the fire <clears throat> needed to be hot to keep the stuff burning without it getting all smoky and so on. And um, what happened though was I was feeding the fire, throwing stuff on it and throwing stuff on it and throwing stuff on it. And it was getting hotter and hotter and hotter. It was, and it amazed me. A mountain of stuff got devoured in a short amount of time, in the fire. And we don't know when we start to sin where it's going to end. It was just one little spark that got the whole thing going. And you don't know. We need to look at sin and, <clears throat> and understand where it's going to take us. It's always going to cost us. All right. <clears throat> it's 8 o'clock. Um, <clears throat> look behind the curtain. <clears throat> We're going to need to come back to this next week, right? Uh, keep that sheet in your in your pocket there, the, in your Bible. There are three more here that we, that we want to go through. Um, well, let me close by saying this, right? Sin is the enemy. It's in your flesh. It's there. 
you don't have to live always with the, <clears throat> with the suffocating power of sin in your life. You can be free from it. Jesus Christ has made provision for you to be free from it. He's made provision for you to walk in freedom. Now you need to be careful because you know, if you get to the place where you get proud and arrogant and so on, you're definitely going to fall in again. But it doesn't matter what your sin, God has made uh, enough power available for you to be free from it. And we're talking about freedom here. Because sin is always bondage. Right? But we need to be wise in how we deal with it. We need to face up to it. It's a problem. When we do wrong, we need to face up to it. We need to deal with it. And we'll talk about some more deals, uh, areas we need to deal with it next week. But we need to recognize it's there. It's huge, this principle. And if I let it, it will overcome me. All right, any questions before we close? Well? Mm-hmm. I mean that's that's true. It's, al- it's always true. Whenever whenever <clears throat> whenever sin comes in, bondage comes in with it. But so often what people do is they look at Christianity and they say, "Well, I can't do this, and I can't do that, and I can't do the other." No, that's not the issue at all. That's not where we're, where you're going at all in your Christianity. It's not a case of you can't do these things. That God wants to set you free from these things. I'll close with this illustration: C.T. Studd's um, <clears throat> father. Uh, got saved uh, in a D.L. Moody campaign in England, right? And he was a gentleman. Made a, he made a fortune in India. And he was a gentleman, and he was enjoying the high life. And he somehow ended up at this meeting, and he got saved. And he was into all kinds of things. He had race horses, and he was living the life of a gentleman and so on. And <clears throat> so he, after he got saved, he came to D.L. Moody, and he said to, to, to Moody, well, you know, I like to do this and this and this and this and this. And Moody very wisely said to him, well, you can't do these because they're wrong. That's sin. And if you will get involved in serving God and living for God, you won't want to do the others. What happens in our lives is a new power takes over and sets us free, and it's a much sweeter life. But we have to kind of buy into that. It's a better life. It's not, a, it's not a harder life. It's not a less life. It's a more life. Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. It's, it, it's, abund- it's not the instant me gratification that we're used to, but it's an abundant life that he offers us. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you, Lord, for this time uh, in your word. Lord, would you help us to... Um, no victory, Lord, over sin. Uh, Lord, even, even this, Lord, I do ask you that you would help each one of us to desire victory over sin, Lord. Because it's the sweetest life to have, Lord, and because it's the life of freedom. 
Lord, put that desire and that heart in each one in this room. And then, Lord, uh, give us that sweet victory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.